Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would continue to renew our hearts and minds, that we would love all good things, that through our worship of you, we would come to know you more intimately and look forward to the day when you come again and we get to be bound to you in all goodness and grace. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <coughs> I've told you a few stories about Moose, our 13-pound dog, which was not named ironically, but you will have to ask my wife about that. Moose was a street dog in Mexico for some amount of time, and I've noticed something interesting that he does. When he sleeps, he turns himself into a little tiny ball. And if he's laying on something white like a blanket, it's almost impossible to see him. And sometimes at night when I get up and I go to the bathroom or something, I check on him and he lays so small and perfectly still that I become just a tiny bit worried that something has happened to him in the night. And I have to put my hand on his chest and then I can feel his chest rise and fall, and I know, okay, the dog is still doing all right. And as much as I complain about that little dog, I actually really like him. And so I am relieved, and I can sleep easy. There's some miracle in the breathing and the heartbeat of an animal and a human. If we wanted to, and we had their permission, don't do this if you don't have somebody's permission, you could lean over and put your hand on your neighbor's chest, and you would feel their chest rise and fall. And if you put your, your finger on their neck, you could feel their heartbeat. This happens without our thinking, I need to breathe. This happens without us thinking, I need my heart to beat so that it pushes blood through my body. It just happens. I once confessed to a bishop who was also a good friend of mine that the liturgical year was much like this for me. It just sort of happened. Some people are really good about knowing, oh, today is the saint's day of so-and-so, tomorrow is this and that, and then on Sunday we'll celebrate Advent. But instead for me, Ronnie emails me and says, you remember Sunday's Advent? And I say, oh, yeah. <laughs> The liturgical year, you see, is something like breathing. It just happens. We don't need to think much about it, but it reminds us again and again of Christ's life, his coming into the world, his life, his death, his resurrection, and that which he taught us. And the liturgy, likewise, is like this. It is as though the heartbeat which pumps blood through our spiritual body, keeping us alive, renewing our minds, and drawing us closer and closer to Christ. St. Paul writes in his epistle to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is what the liturgy does for us if we, allows, if we allow it. It transforms our mind so we can love that which is good and acceptable and perfect so that we can do the will of God. 
one of the things that we've been heading closer and closer towards is a high view of catechism. Catechism as the formation of new Christians that they may see the goodness of Christ. Catechism lays the foundation of Christian life. Christ being the cornerstone and outflowing from it are those things which form our hearts and minds so we know Christ well and we know him intimately. Catechism is not a time for tinkerers to get new information. This, this, this example may fall a little bit short here, but I will try it nonetheless, and if it makes no sense, I apologize. But I, if you've ever read the books Harry Potter, yes, those great books, in one of them, there's this little creature called Creature, who sees stuff being cleaned up out of the house that he had taken care of for years and years. And out of fear and jealousy, he starts to collect them and hides them away in his cupboard where he lives. And he just kind of keeps them away as his precious little possessions. If we're not careful, catechism and other things in the church can become like creatures' precious little possessions, hidden away and never shown to anyone else only kept because they mean something to us. But we don't let them transform our minds or make anything out of it. Rather, <clears throat> catechism is a spiritual renewing of our mind, the laying of the foundation so that when we go through life, we are built up in Christ. And whether the storm pushes us or shoves us, whether good days fall upon us or rainy days and difficult times, we've laid a good foundation so our faith in Christ stands firm. Catechism, likewise, is not a one-time deal, but a continual thing. We go through a class briefly where we learn some important things, but then the liturgy picks up where catechism left off. The liturgy works as catechism. The liturgy is many things, of course, like a house. A house can be a safe place for somebody. We lock our doors so we can sleep soundly at night, not like moose curled up, afraid that we might be found, but sleep in peace, knowing that we're safe. It can be a warm place on a cold night. It can be a dry place. A house, for many, can be a home. Liturgy is the same way. It can be a catechism for us. It forms and renews our minds and reminds us of who we are in Christ, what he has done for us, and what he has drawn us to. This isn't the only thing liturgy does. It's a place where we worship. It's a place where God's glory is revealed to us. It's a place where we experience Christ in an intimate and good way. <clears throat> but the liturgy acts to reform our mind. And I found myself thinking about this this week as I was working on something else. <clears throat> and I'm going to give you a very quick crash course on the different ways that it does this. After we start our opening prayer and enter into what is called the liturgy of the word, we hear the law, whether as we did this morning in the summary of the law, that you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, or on other Sundays when we hear the whole Decalogue spelled out before us point 
by point by point, and we pray, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. This hearing of the law reveals the nature of our heart and reminds us of our need for Christ. St. <clears throat> James writes about this in his epistle. He writes that those who hear the law and walk away not transformed are as those who look into the mirror and see themselves walk away and forget what they look like. <clears throat> Perhaps this is shocking to you, but I'm not much of a mirror person. I kind of get ready quickly in the morning, but I have seen myself enough times in the mirror to know what I look like. Likewise, the law does this for us. And so we hear the law again and again, and we're reminded we need Christ. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And then we hear the Old Testament proclaimed. We see, we are reminded as Christ told us that Abraham looked forward to his coming. St. Peter told us that the prophets who we heard this morning read looked for the day of salvation which we so enjoy. We see God, we are transformed as we are reminded that God is faithful to his word. This starts even at the beginning in Genesis 3, as God promises one will crush the serpent's head. That one is Christ who has come to set us free. The Psalms we worship as we worship through with the faithful throughout the ages. The Psalms have been the prayer book of the people. We worship as Christ did even, as we recite a Psalm or two every time we gather together. Psalm 96 also tells us that we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, and the Psalms transform us and remind us of how beautiful God's holiness really is. The epistle, Christ's, the church's earliest instructions to one another. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul tells his, the Corinthians to imitate him, as he imitates the Lord. It shows us the instructions of the apostles as they spell out what it looks like to live in Christ. And then finally, we get to that glorious reading of the gospel. We meet Christ. We, we meet Christ face to face. The gospel start as Mark 1 starts, is proclaiming that this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ come into the world. And as we read the Gospels, we see who Christ truly is. In the creeds, we confess what we believe to be true and what the Lord has shown us. We are transformed as we confess we do believe in Christ. And then the sermon, everybody's favorite part. Thank you. Helps us to understand. Philip was walking along the road in Acts, and he comes upon this carriage where he sees a man reading out of Isaiah. And the man, he asks the man what he's reading, and he says, How can I understand unless somebody teaches me? We have the sermon so that we can be taught. How can we understand unless someone teaches us? We are transformed as we are instructed in the word. 
And then we enter into what is called the liturgy of the faithful. In the old days, it used to be that you would kick the people out who had yet to be baptized and confirmed. They could stay through the sermon, and then it was time for them to go home. But we are not that way today. But that is where that term, the liturgy of the faithful, comes. During the liturgy of the faithful, we pray together because we are transformed by prayer. Prayer alone and corporate prayer. We are drawn together and come drawn to the foot of the cross as we offer our prayers for our country, for one another, for our church, that we may give those hopes and dreams and sorrows and heartache all to the Lord. Prayer transforms. We confess our sins together in the confession. We confess to one another and to God that we are sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God, which is why we confess as one body. We say, I have sinned and fallen short. And we say, yes, brother, yes, sister, I have as well. We are transformed as we confess our sins and we are reminded that Christ is faithful to forgive. And finally, as we come to the Lord's table, we enter into Christ's mysterious presence by believing and expecting and receiving him in faith with thanksgiving. And ultimately, the end of the liturgy, as we draw to the table, is the end we look forward to. The end of the liturgy as we draw to the table is a foretaste of the table of our Lord, which he is preparing for us. It is the marriage feast of the Lamb, when we will be truly, fully, and completely united with him. This is but a part of why we do the liturgy. It transforms our mind every week, week in and week out. The liturgy can pump the spiritual blood through our veins without us even trying, though we must guard against it becoming vain repetition. We must be engaged so that we see how it does this to ourselves. We need to see our sins. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness to forgive in Christ. We need to see Christ daily proclaimed to our minds and our hearts. We need to hear his word explained and be reminded the point of all this, what we are heading towards, is to be present with Christ through the end. The liturgy is not, as someone warned me once, about uh, once for tinkerers. It is not something that we collect as creature did in Harry Potter, hidden away, but it is something to transform our minds so that we go home to our homes transformed and into our lives, ready to proclaim Christ. The liturgy is not something cool that we keep for ourselves, but something that speaks into our hearts and minds that we might proclaim him. It is, something, it is not something that makes us better than our brothers and sisters in Christ who use different liturgies. Whether they be liturgies that are unreformed and full of other things that we don't do in our own liturgy, whether it be those who go to low churches whose liturgies are far more simple than ours, having our liturgy, a reformed Catholic liturgy, if you will, 
It does not make us somehow better. It just makes us humbler because we know where we stand and who we are. It is something that the Lord has used through history. The history of the church to transform men and women into his people. It is a place where, as I've harped on, is where our minds can be renewed while we give ourselves to worship. Therefore, my dear friends, let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let us be on guard against vain repetition. Let us seek to do the will of God and to know, as Peter Paul says, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let us allow this beautiful gift of Anglicanism, the heart of the Book of Common Prayer, to be a tool that God may use to make you his. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.